Thank you, Austin. Good morning again. Uh, we are continuing our series in Mark. We're in chapter 11, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11, so a lot of ones there. So it's going to be projected behind me. You can also pull out your Bibles and look at it, or the Pew Bibles. So let's read it. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt, tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told him, and they told them what Jesus had said. And they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it. And he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road. And others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David, Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is the word of the Lord. If you could say this with me. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. So when I was in college, I worked at a church in Orlando. Uh, it's actually the same church that Drew worked at when he was in Orlando, but uh, different time. So I was just a little bit later than him, so not at the same time. But one of the things that they did there was they would take a missions trip to Romania. And so when I was on staff there, I got the opportunity to go with them, and I, I was super excited I was real still into missions at that time already and, and really excited about going and being a part of that. But one of the things that I was actually really excited about was seeing a castle. So I'd grown up in the United States. I hadn't seen many castles here, not many cool ones anyways. And so I was really excited. Romania is famous for having these like giant, beautiful castles. And so the whole time I was on the lookout for a castle and, and everybody in the group knew that as well. So they were all rooting for me. We all wanted to see a castle. They all wanted to be with me as I saw for the first time a castle. I don't know what it is, you know, whether it's, you know, the history, you know, the, the dungeons, the secret passages, whatever. All of that was super awesome to me. So I really wanted to see one. And so we went and we were in Romania for a couple of weeks and it was a wonderful time. Um, we did some good ministry, but I guess the part of Romania that we were in, there were no castles. So I didn't get to see one. But then, uh, on the way back, we had a layover in England, and the, we went to this, uh, this town outside of London for the day, and uh, we went to church, and then after church, the pastor says, I've got something exciting for you. We're all going to go see a castle. And so I was real excited, right? Because this is it, right? It's finally coming true. And so we go, we, we, we try to get there before it closes, so we get in the parking lot, and the way it was was there was like this field you had to walk through, and then there was these hedges, and on the other side of the hedge was the castle. So we're all going along kind of fast, and, and I'm trying to get there, and I get through the hedge, and I see the castle, and it was super disappointing. 
it, it, was, it was more like a stone hovel. I, I've seen apartment buildings more awe-inspiring. I mean, it was stone. I mean, it was old, maybe three stories. It was, it just wasn't that cool. I mean, I don't know if they had dungeons. There's certainly no secret passages. It was like a thousand square feet. You know, it wasn't, it really wasn't much. And so I'm sitting there and then to add injury to insult, it had just closed. We couldn't even go inside. Not that there was really much room inside anyways, you know, for this stone thing. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to keep a brave face on because I'm there with the pastor. This was his big surprise. And so I'm trying to be nice to the pastor. But his 13-year-old son had no qualms. He didn't, he didn't want to be nice to his dad, I guess, so, or, or not nice to me anyway. So he's like, hey, everybody, Tony is disappointed. Hey, hey, Tony, you're disappointed, aren't you? Hey, everybody, look how disappointed Tony is. And the reality was I was. I was very disappointed. Uh, but I tried to hide it and uh, tried, to, tried to be the, the, the good team player no, no, this is what I've always expected and what I always wanted. Sometimes we get disappointed in life. Sometimes, uh, as you said a few weeks ago, when our expectations don't meet the reality that we face, we face a lot of discouragement and disappointment. And I, I read something just recently. It was a, a study on Bible reading, and they said one of the reasons why people stop reading their Bibles is because they get discouraged in their faith. They're a little disillusioned, something happens, they start, they start questioning things, and so, so they don't feel uh, like they really want to, to dig into the Word of God. And uh, that's a sad thing, because as we are facing those times of discouragement, and we, we all will face those times, if you haven't yet, you will. Uh, I'm not old, but I'm old enough to know that those times come, they're, they're natural, they're part of our, of our faith. And, and it's great to, to be able to dig into the Word in those times to, to hear from the Lord as he's, as he's talking to us. But a lot of times what happens is we get discouraged in our faith, and uh, we put on the brave face. We, we want to be the good Christian. We don't talk to anybody about it. We don't really make a big deal about it. We just kind of deal with it internally. You know, maybe, maybe something happened where you were, you know, people in the church who you cared about were, you know, betrayed you or did something mean to you. Maybe... Somebody that you love, you lost, and you're trying to reconcile all that. So maybe you get a diagnosis that you don't like, or you start facing financial problems. And whatever it is, you, you look at your life, and you were expecting a castle. You're expecting being with Jesus and getting a castle, and instead you look at it, and you're like, what is this thing? Just a little stone hovel. Like, I, I don't know that this classifies as a castle. So it's always helpful when we face those times to be able to go back and to re-examine our expectations kind of in light of what Jesus was promising. What did he really say that he was going to give us? What was he proclaiming to us versus what were our expectations? And I think that was really helpful why Mark you know, wrote this letter originally. He wrote it to Roman Christians right when they were facing a lot of persecution. So they were under Nero People were dying for their faith. People were losing businesses, homes, family members, they were, they, everything. Their, their lives were falling apart. They were being really discouraged. They had to be on an emotional roller coaster. And Mark writes this, path, this, this book to them, and part of it is to help them, to help remind them 
what Jesus really is promising to them and to help kind of build their imagination for the reality that what Jesus promises is actually much better than a lot of times what we expect and what we want. And as we look at the scene and Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and there's a crowd there and the crowd is super excited because they've got big expectations. They know what they want. In John's gospel, it says that this happened right after Lazarus was raised from the dead. And so the crowd had just heard about Lazarus, and they're super excited. If you don't know the story of Lazarus, it's this. Uh, Jesus had a friend, Lazarus, and he died. And he was buried in a tomb, and he was there for four days when Jesus shows up. And Jesus comes in, and his sisters say, if only you were here, you could have raised my brother Lazarus, from, or you could have healed him. And uh, Jesus says, all right, well, roll, roll away the stone, and let me, let me see him. And they say, no. No, Jesus, we can't do that because he's going to smell too bad. See, some of the times that Jesus raised people from the dead, they had only just died. Uh, in one case, they, he was on his way to being buried, but, but never somebody who'd been dead for four days, right? This is not a, a princess bride, mostly dead situation. <laughs> this is really dead. And so, he tells them to, to roll, roll the stone away. They roll away, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus raises from the dead and comes out whole and probably smelling very good as well because he just, you know, Jesus' miracle. And so the people hear this, and they are excited, right? And so they start singing as he's coming in, and they start saying, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David, right? They want him to come as the king, they want him to come and overthrow the Romans, right? This is what they're hoping for, a, a superhero king who would defeat their enemies, establish the kingdom, and give them their freedom. And this is amazing because they have here now Jesus who can raise people from the dead. Now, I've never been in a real battle or fought in a war, but I imagine that if you are in that situation, what you want with you more than anything is the guy who can raise the dead, right? Because then there's no real risk. I mean, if you even go in you know, some of these superhero movies and you fight alongside Superman, like he's great, but if you die, you're dead, and that's it, right? And if it's Iron Man, he's awesome, he's got the missiles, but if you die, you're dead, but not with Jesus, right? This is what they're thinking. We can have all the reward and no risk, Right? We can have all the prosperity and none of the pain. If we have Jesus with us, he's going to come. He's going to take away the Romans, and everything is going to be awesome forever. They wanted to defeat the enemies. They wanted the king to establish his kingdom, and they wanted to their freedom. And the reality is that Jesus came to do all those things, just not in the way that they expected. It wasn't what they were looking for. And so as Jesus is coming in, though, he is making some really big claims. You know, one of the big things is that they're worshiping, worshiping Jesus. And in, in what we read in Luke, uh, the Pharisees didn't like that because you're not allowed to worship anything but God. And so Jesus says, no, this is right. They're supposed to be worshiping me. And, and that's one of the ways that, just one of the small ways that we see, again, his divinity. That, yeah, you're allowed to worship Jesus because he is God. And he's coming in and he's making these claims. He's, he's being pretty bold. He's, he knows that they want to kill him. He knows that there's a plot against him. And he could have gone in secretly, you know, hidden and, and kind of gone in quietly. But no, 
Everybody sees him. He's going in, and everybody is going to, to see him. He's on the donkey. They're looking at him. And he tells his disciples to go and get the donkey, the donkey that nobody had ever sat on, nobody had ever ridden on. And that was because there was some spiritual significance to that, that he was coming in and he was saying, this, there's more to this than just the physical kingdom. There's a spiritual uh, reality to this, that I'm coming as the king. And he comes in riding on a donkey. And that's what he chose, the donkey. So he's being bold. Everybody can see him. But he's also being humble because it's a donkey. And they're smelly. And he comes in, and he could have chosen something else. I don't know if you remember the movie Aladdin, but there's a scene in Aladdin. There's a couple scenes there. One where this prince comes in, and he's riding on a white horse, and he's, he's real uh, 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 egotistical, and he's going to see Jasmine, the princess. And so then when it's Aladdin's turn, and they're making a big deal about him, and the genie is working with him to make a grand entrance, one of the things they spend time on is, what is your mode of transportation going to be? And it's like a comic scene where they turn the monkey into all these different animals, and then they end on what? An elephant, this big elephant. So forget the guys with the white horses. He's coming in on an elephant. And Jesus could have done that. He could have come and probably gotten a white horse. He could have gotten some fantastic animal. He's God. He could have created a new animal just to, just to show off how powerful he is. Here he comes riding on a dragon or something. He, he could have done all that, but he comes on a donkey, on a borrowed donkey, and he does that to fulfill Zechariah chapter 9, the prophecy. And it says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit." As Jesus is coming in, he's saying, I'm this guy. I'm this one who's going to be coming in, bringing righteousness and salvation. It, he's talking about the, the, the bow and the war horse. He's saying, there's going to be peace. You're not going to need your armies anymore. I'm coming. There's going to be peace on all the earth. He said, I'm coming. I'm going to rescue your prisoners from the waterless pit. He's making big time claims. I'm coming and things are going to get better, much, much better. We're going to have global peace. We're going to have freedom. It's going to be amazing. But even a casual viewer of world history will know that even though Christianity and Jesus' coming has changed the world for the better in a lot of really amazing ways, the world's not quite that great, right? I mean, there's there's not world peace, in case, you, in case you weren't aware, right? That's not, that hasn't been achieved yet. Uh, there's still prisoners in waterless pits. There, there's still bad things. And so, so we can see that. We can see these claims that he was making, and we can get confused. You know, here he was saying he was going to be this, this one who brings all this stuff, but why hasn't it happened? And the reality is this, that the big opening of him coming into Jerusalem is meant to draw our attention to the big ending, 
So we went to Mississippi for Thanksgiving, and one of the nice things we were able to do is they took us out in the back, and we got to shoot some guns, uh, and I don't get to shoot guns that often, so that was, that was a lot of fun. Surprisingly, Nicolette, our youngest, was amazing at it. I don't know where she got that from, but, you know, if she ever gets mad at me now, I got to be careful. But when you do it, when you aim your gun, you have the, the rear sight and the forward sight, and you got to kind of align your sights to, to hit the target. And that's what Jesus is doing. That's what we're trying to do. His big entrance is to align our sight to his death and to his resurrection. And he's saying, here I am. I'm coming. I'm going to bring all these things. I'm the one who has been prophesied. I'm the one that you've been wanting, the one that you've been excited about. But the way it's going to happen is it's going to happen through my death and resurrection. And he wants us to look down and to see that reality, that the bold, big claims are tied to Christ's death, resurrection, ascension, and then eventually second coming. See, they, the crowd, they wanted Jesus to defeat their enemy, which was good, and he was going to do that. But they didn't know who the real enemy was. They wanted him to establish his kingdom but they didn't realize that his kingdom's larger and more grand than just the borders of Israel. They, they wanted him to bring freedom, but they hadn't realized who they were really oppressed by, who they were really in bondage to, because the real enemy is sin and death. And that's what he's saying. This is the big, bold thing. He is coming to defeat sin and death, and he's going to give us something more beautiful and something grander. But even though we know that, a, a lot of times we know that, that the promises are, are for his second coming and he's working out to do that, to, to make the world new. It's still hard a lot, a lot of the times to cope with that as we're facing the realities of our world today. Because we, we touch and feel and we see our world today and we want the good things in the world. There's a lot of good things and we want them. We want our families to be healthy. We want to have money to go and travel and to do all sorts of things. We, we want all those things. And so it's hard a lot of times when we, when we don't get them. And I imagine the Roman Christians who were receiving this letter, they, they had a hard time with that too. I mean, they had to have been on a roller coaster of, of this wonderful saving faith, the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives, but then also see all the persecution and pain and suffering that was coming their way. And it's hard because even though we're promised this better world, we, we still really love this world. It's kind of like this. I, I got my hair cut this past week, and uh, I got a new barber. And I found out that he's Nicaraguan. And so that's really exciting to me. If you didn't know, I was a missionary for a while in Nicaragua. And we really love the country. It's a, it's a great place. And so it was great. You don't get to meet very many Nicaraguans. And so that was awesome. So, so I, I, I start talking to him. And whenever I do have the chance to meet a Nicaraguan for the first time, I kind of have the conversation steer a certain way. It's the first thing we talk about, how beautiful the country is. And it's a beautiful country. It's pretty amazing how compact Nicaragua is and then how many different you know, geographical and, and geological things there are. There's these beautiful world-class beaches that you can go to. And then there's these volcanoes. There's volcanoes that you can look in and see the lava. There's even a volcano, if you're bolder than me, then you can surf down the side of it. 
There's these amazing canyons that you can kind of lazy river through the canyon. And there's all these places that are just really spectacular. I would be driving to go meet with some pastors, and I would just look out the window, and then every, everywhere I'd look, there was just these amazing vistas, these million-dollar views, but no million-dollar homes. And it was, it was really great. So we'd talk first about how beautiful the country is, and then we would talk about how great the food is. So one of their main foods there is gallo pinto, and it's, it's a bean and rice dish. But it's the thing that all the women in Nicaragua compete with each other over who has the best gallo pinto. And if you ever go to a new country, you find out what the women compete over to make best, and you eat that, because it's going to be good. And so it's, it's great, and you can't get gallo pinto here, so, so you uh, talk to him about that, because they, I mean, they would eat it two, three times a day, so it's a big deal. So we talk about, oh, gallo pinto, and then I try to get a little bit more regional just to, you know, show that I have real credibility. So, you know, I talk about casillas de nagarote, and he's like, oh, yeah, and, and I didn't really like those, but I, I, I just say, yeah, those are they're great. They're kind of like a cheese tortilla roll-up kind of thing. Not, people in Nagarote love it, and it's great. So it's, I, I don't, but other people do. That's fine. So we talk about the food, how great it is, and how wonderful the people is, are. And if you were sitting there, and you're hearing us talk about how much we love Nicaragua, and how excited we are to talk about all these different great things, then the obvious question is, then what are you doing here? Right? Why aren't, if it's so wonderful, why aren't you there? And the reality is, we're not there because it has a fundamental flaw, and that is, it's very dangerous. Muy peligroso, very dangerous. There's a dictator there, and he's a brutal dictator now. While we were still living there, he opened up torture prisons, and he, he went against his people, and there was conflict and revolution and attempts, and he, he destroyed it, and so it's dangerous. So why aren't we there? Because even though it's beautiful and we love it, there's a fundamental flaw with it. And even in America, and even, even in our lives, all these things that are beautiful and that we love and that are great have this fundamental flaw of sin. Everything, everything is broken by sin. So you may have a wonderful family. I do. Love your parents and, and love your kids and everything's great. But there's death. And one day you're going to be parted. If you haven't been parted already, you're going to be parted by death. And you have great relationships, but sin enters into those relationships. And so there's arguments and there's brokenness. And everything that we have that's good and grand, you might have money, but then you can lose the money or the gas prices go way up. It takes all the money away. And it, There's all these things that we love and that are great, but they all are flawed and horribly, horribly flawed. And if our hope is all and only wrapped up in this life. If that's what our dreams are, then we're not dreaming big enough. Because here's the deal. Even though the, the sin, the, the world is great and there's amazing things in it, sin is so in it and broken, breaking the world. It is so fundamentally a part of it that there's nothing we can do to make it, to, to change that. I mean, we can make the world marginally better. The world has gotten better over time, and, and we can make it marginally better. But you're never going to be able to erase death. You're never going to be able to erase sin in the way that people hurt each other and, and go out and try to get power. There's, there's this fundamental 
flaw. So what Jesus wants us to do is he wants us to dream bigger. But we, oftentimes, we just get caught up in in the things that he does, the, the, the miracles of this life. Look, it's awesome, and it's amazing that he can raise the dead, right? The crowd was not wrong. It is amazing that he could raise Lazarus. But it's a bigger deal that he offers us eternal life. It's a great thing that he promises to provide for our needs. That, that's, a, that's an amazing thing. That's a, that's a great thing that we should pray about and have hope in. But it's an even better thing that he's preparing mansions for us and streets of gold. That's the bigger deal. It's great that he promises that, that we'll have family and community even amongst the body of Christ in this world. It's a better thing that one day we're going to have all of that and it's never going to end. It's never going to be broken by death. It's never going to be broken by sin and people uh, hurting each other. If all of our hopes and dreams are about this life, we are dreaming way too small. Because can you imagine, can you even just imagine for a moment what it will be like when you love somebody and they never die. We don't have to worry about death anymore. Can you imagine what it'd be like to never have to worry about getting sick? Right? So, so you work in your office, somebody comes in with a cold, right? And you're like, all right, I know he's not sick enough to take a sick day, but also don't talk to me, right? You stay over there because I don't want to get sick. It's horrible. Can you imagine what it'd be like to never have to worry about that, to never have any of that anxiety. In fact, to never have any anxiety ever again because everything is good and peaceful and all sin has been taken away and death is no more. Could you imagine what it'd be like when there's no more regrets about the past, no more guilt or shame, when there's, when there's nothing left to fear? And that's, that's what we should be hoping for and dreaming about. I mean, sometimes we have a hard time dreaming about eternity and what Christ is really bringing because we think after a while, it's going to get boring. It's really hard. Like I, when, I, when I was younger, I used to always get stressed out about thinking about eternity because it was like, okay, I can, I can picture like a little bit of time, but then eventually it's going to get old. In, in fact, there was a, a show the good place, which had this as one of their major themes, was that people were getting bored. But that's because we're locked into this thinking that in this world, everything gets worse over time. We get older and less, less fit. You know, things decay and, and rust and break down. Songs that we used to like now sound old and get played out. The jokes aren't funny anymore. All those type of things. But what if everything always got better, right? What if a million years from now, You had more joy. Heaven is more joyful than it was on day one. I mean, we have a hard time imagining that because our hopes and our dreams are too small. We want a king who will destroy our enemies, who will set up his kingdom and give us freedom, and that's exactly what we have in Christ. He entered Jerusalem on the donkey to prove that he was the prophesied king and to point our attention to the reality that the what type of king he was, that he was going to do something different than what they expected, but something far more amazing than what they could dream. But there's a problem 
If the enemy is sin, and that's what he came to destroy, then mankind has a problem because we're sinful. Because we're not just victims of sins, we, we're, we're perps, we do sin as well. And, and the Bible teaches us that because we are sinning, we're breaking the law of God. And it, because he's a good and just judge, he has to punish us. He has to punish the sin in our lives. So we're under, we're under that condemnation. And, and the, sometimes, though, we, we try to work around it. And we try to think, oh, if I, if I can do enough good things, then I'll outweigh my bad, my bad things, and then he'll like me. Or, or we think, you know, I'll create my own code, my own morality, and if I live up to that, then I'm going to be good. But the reality is, we never live up to God's code. We don't live up to our own codes. So we're fatally flawed, and we have this problem of sin. But God loved us. And because he loved us, and he wanted to reconcile us to him, because he wanted to make a way for us to get access to this glorious kingdom that he's building, he came born as a man, Jesus, who we've been reading about, fully God, fully man. And he lived a perfect life without sin, and he went to the cross. And this is what we see. He's entering Jerusalem. Why? To go to the cross, to draw attention to that, all that singing and praise. I'm the king, but this is the kingdom I'm going to have, the one that that, that dies for you. And on the cross, he died, takes our sins on him, he takes our punishment, and he gives us his righteousness. And he's buried, and then he raises again in three days, defeating the power of sin in our lives, ascends to heaven, prays for us, intercedes for us, and sends us the Holy Spirit so we can live for him. And he invites us in so that if we haven't turned our lives over to him, if you've never repented, if you've never put your faith in him, you could do that even today. And I'm going to close, uh, I'm going to stop my sermon, end the sermon, and we're going to sing. And if you've never put your faith in Christ, I hope that you would do that then, just as we're singing in your seat, just call out to him. But maybe you are a believer, and you're facing discouragement, or you, maybe you're going to be facing discouragement one day. I hope that you'd be reminded of the reality of, of what Jesus promised, that there is a king who's going to defeat our enemies, that he's going to set up his kingdom, and he's going to give us freedom, and it's going to be something far greater than we could imagine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you did not leave us in the waterless pit, and you did not leave us to our own sin, but that you came and you suffered and you died. You came humbly so that we could be saved. You came with salvation so we could have entrance into your kingdom. And we pray, Lord, that we would dream and hope of that day, that day when you return and you make all things right, when you make the world new. Let us hope for that day. In Jesus' name, amen. Part of the reality of the goodness of God is that when we are in him, we, he doesn't just tolerate us, but he loves us, he accepts us, and he adopts us as his children. And when he thinks about you, it's with a smile on his face and a joy, the joy in his heart. Adopted children of Christ, receive your benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.